Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, won't you just come? Come and move, Father. Come and change hearts, Lord God. Come and do what you want to do. We open this up for you to, to just move however you see to move. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, I have a few things that I want to um, share this morning. Um, but in worship, I just—I I was really just just feeling some things that um, that have been going on in in my head in the in the, in the last week. We um we've been meeting quite a bit as a team, sort of just strategizing where God is leading this church and 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 how we do that, what that looks like for for us to lead this church and what this house is going to do and and what gifts God's giving us and all these kinds of things. And you know, some of those conversations can be can be quite um, tiresome and 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 quite heavy, but as I've as I've been sort of looking at um, my study and 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 delving into God's word, I've really been focusing on on looking at studying who Christ is, studying the the ins and outs of His life, who He was, what He did, all those sorts of things. And I'm reading a, a book by a, um by a, a Jewish rabbi called um, Jesus, the Jewish theologian, and of of Jesus is just incredible the way that they understood who he was, that understood his nature. But I was having a, a, a conversation with a, an, an old friend and he said to me, he said to me something that made no sense in the beginning. He said, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And I went, oh, that's awesome, Greg. And I got off the, I got off the Skype conversation with him and I was, I was really pondering and, and Jesus tends to speak to me in the shower. I wish that I could get a pen and a pad because things just get... Just download it, hey? And and it really occurred to me that in this time that we've been um, meeting and discussing and looking at how, where and how to position this church and what God wants us to be, I've been deep in, in studying and understanding who Christ is. And when this thing pinged in my head that the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing is Jesus. You know, Paul, Paul preached a gospel and the gospel, the good news that he preached was Jesus. Everything Paul preached throughout the Bible was preached through the lens of Jesus Christ. From church planning to church building to, to general life to immorality, all these things all came back to Jesus. So as I've been looking and studying and, and hearing from God, everything that I'm seeing is pointing back to Jesus. And I just really felt that for this next season and, and even for the for the rest of our lives, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing is Jesus. So everything we do, and, and that will look different for each of us. You know, if, if, if you're in a business and, and, and running a company, the main thing, the main thing is still Jesus in that business, in that company. You know, it can't just look like what it looks like here for us on a Sunday or even for us as, as church leaders. It has to look like whatever it looks like to you. So I just really want to encourage you guys that in the times where you're sitting there thinking, he doesn't know my situation, he doesn't know what's happening, he doesn't know where my life's at, I just want to encourage you to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus. There's a, um, an evangelist guy, and I can't for laughing remember his name. Um, he does spoken word, but he has a, his tagline, I guess, or his slogan is, Jesus, 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 until the day that I die. I thought that's awesome, you know? that in the midst of our storms, if we can hold on to the main thing, keep the main thing the main thing, we can wrestle anything that comes across. Alrighty, that wasn't what I wanted to preach about, but that's a, 
That's one for free. I'll give you that one. It won't charge you. Um, okay, so last time I preached, I, I preached on um, the last Adam, Jesus being the last Adam. So we looked at um, what it looks like for Jesus who didn't come under the line of Adam. So man, I just want to recap quickly because I want to carry on from that. So we looked at the fact that the line of Adam, Adam was in the garden, takes the fruit, brings sin in, and then passes that sin on through his seed onto all the rest of the generations, onto man after man after man because the seed was carried down from Adam. Jesus then comes in through an immaculate conception. So he's not born from the seed of man. He was born from the seed of the Spirit, removing sin, hence why he was a sinless man. Okay, So we, we looked in depth. You can go and find that on um, our things and you can if, if this doesn't make sense because of that. But... Essentially, what, what we talked about was sin was removed through Jesus being taken out of that line. He was no longer from that line. Everyone's with that, huh? So what I want to talk about today, because it was a little bit perplexing to me, was the fact that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. So I laid, laid out that Jesus is no longer from the line of man, and then Jesus says in the Bible, I am the Son of Man. So I want to go into that a little bit today and, and really unpack and understand what he means by that, and why he would refer to himself as the Son of Man. Is that okay? Everyone with me? If, if it doesn't make sense, there's a few. This isn't going to be very long, I don't think, but I, I just want to, to get us to understand that the Bible does not contradict itself. Okay, so if there is a contradiction that you see in the Bible, something is wrong with your theology or your doctrine. So if we find a, a, um, a contradicting thing in the Bible, one of them is wrong. So if you've got two theories of thought and they contradict one another, one is wrong. So we have to break down both of them and figure out which is wrong. So if we look at this and go, okay, Jesus calls himself the son of man, therefore he has to be of, of the direct line of man because he says that. Well, no, that, that's wrong thinking, but one of them is wrong. So I want to break down what it means for Jesus to be the son of man. So there's three... There's three predominant arguments or three predominant um, uses of the word son of man throughout the Bible that we see. Theologians have discussed this for a long time and lucky for us, we just get to have a look at a, a broad range and, and, and decide what we can see in the Bible. And this is a, a big topic and a big discussion, but it seems to be across all Reformed thinking and, and from what I can see in the Bible, sorry, Reformed and non-Reformed thinking and from what I can see in the Bible is that there's three clear, distinct uses of the Son of Man. There's a generic meaning, so if you're taking notes, if you're not, that's cool. A generic meaning, a messianic meaning, and a complex combination of the both. So I want to break each one of those down so we can begin to understand. So I want to look first at the generic meaning. So the ge generic meaning coming from the time that, that the Bible was written was a Jewish, obviously a Jewish culture, right? In a, in a, in a Jewish time. So we're looking at, we have to understand what what they were living in and what they understood. So in the very in in Genesis, the word man, I had a slide and I forgot it, and so you're just gonna have to bear with me. But in Genesis, the Hebrew word for man, written in Hebrew, is spelt A D A M. Adam. That mind, I was sitting at home, nearly fell off my chair. So God calls the first man he creates, he calls him man, Adam. Okay, the word Ben in Hebrew, means son. So Ben Adam is son of men. Okay? So we have to 
understand that God was positioning Adam as being the initial man, the first man, to then obviously go and create what God had created, to continue to move on what God had created. Obviously, as we all know, we sit here today because he stuffed it up. But, but that was the plan, right? So he was, he was man. So, so when we look at Ben Adam in the, in, in the Bible, in the Hebrew, is, is man, simply man. Um, we also see that in, in the Greek, the Greek word for man was anthropos, hence where we get the word, um, stop. anthropology. Damon, 10 points from the side. Squish. Um, is where we get the, the, the word anthropology. It's from essentially man, the start, our flesh, human beings, you and I. Okay? So, so what we see in the Bible is we begin to see this son of man being used, but the, the Jewish thinking for son of man actually just meant human, man, mankind, that, that we could be son of man. Is everyone with me? I understand, yeah? So, so what we begin to see is Jesus then comes on, obviously was the Messiah, and he calls himself the Son of Man. Now, they had to believe that he was the Son, of, that he was the Messiah. Obviously, some didn't. But go with me to um, Matthew twelve thirty-two. So when you look at Matthew 12, 32, when you, when you, when you read this verse, this, this was confusing for me until I began to unpack this and I realized what was happening here. When it says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in the age or in the age to come. Now, I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into that verse that's a, a preach for another time in regards to what that is actually saying, but in, in regards to that forgiveness, but that we know as, as blaspheming the Spirit, right? So this is then saying, if you look at it through those eyes, that that could be Jesus. That you can blaspheme Jesus, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make any sense. When you start to unpack that, it doesn't make any sense. So I started thinking, okay, well, what would have this meant? Jesus is explaining that. He's not saying you can blaspheme me, but you can't blaspheme the Spirit. Son of man, in this verse, he's talking about humanity, humans. Which we, which we begin to understand that, okay, because there is forgiveness. If Mao says to me, I want to tell you something, and I go, Mao, I don't want to hear what you have to say. There's forgiveness for that. That blaspheme of the Spirit talks about the fact that if, if the Spirit, if we see the Spirit and understand the Spirit and we say, no, I, I don't want what that is, which a lot of the um, Satanists and, and those sorts of people do that, that's what that unforgiveness is talking about. So that right here is not talking about Jesus. Are we all okay to, to, to see that? So then we go, so why then would Jesus refer to its son of man then? Because the Jewish thinking, the Jewish culture understood that that was just talking about a man, a human, a, a, a compadre, to, to use Spanish. <laughs> Where's Adi? <laughs> I'm not really sure. That just I don't know what happened there. But anyway. Yeah, I just made some things up there for sure. Um, com- compadre, that's better. Friend, <laughs> fellow human. So we can begin to understand that now we're starting to see where Son of Man is revealed as, as just a generic meaning. So, so that's the first 
view that we see, that Jesus is not talking of himself. He's just speaking in a general term of man. So that Greek word in that verse is, is anthropos. So if you look at that word where it says man, it just means man. Um, okay, so, so we're, we, we're highlighted to the fact that now there is, is a generic meaning. So I want to move on into, into the, the, the next phase of this, which is a little bit deeper, and it's the messianic meaning. So the meaning that Jesus was stating that he was the Christ. Okay, so, so the only, the, the, the understanding that the Jews would have had for Jesus to say that he was Christ came through what? It came through prophecy from, from Daniel and from Isaiah and, and from those things. So they had a prophecy which needed to be fulfilled. Okay? So let's go to, let's go to, uh, Daniel, verse 7, 13, 14. Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Son of man has given dominion, is how it's um, highlighted in the ESV. So the verse says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So that, that came like, came one like, was actually added in there. If you look at the if you look at the King James version, it's in italics and it's it's grayed because they needed to do that because we weren't Jewish thinkers. So the Jewish thinkers looked at that and went, oh, "Okay, he came like the son of man. He came in the flesh. Humanity, human." But we didn't understand understand that because we didn't understand the thought process that the Jewish um uh people of that day understood. So if you go back to the King James, it's, it's highlighted as well. And if you go back to the, the scrolls that they found, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually don't have that word in there. But what happened was, was that they couldn't get essentially um, Western thinkers or New Age thinkers to understand what that meant. So what they're saying, what, what, that, what Daniel is saying is that he came like a son of man because he came with a fleshly body. So if you continue on at that, to that next verse, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who was it that was given that dominion? Jesus. Okay. So Daniel, Daniel draws a picture of the fact that Jesus descends in a fleshly, manly body, which we obviously seek to know that that comes from, from Mary and he's born and he's raised as a child. But what they would have understood was that, okay, this is a, a fleshly man. I know this is a little bit withdrawn, long, and I, I, but I, I need to do this in order to highlight the main point that we have to understand as Christians. So he comes as a son of man. So the, a, a large proportion for, a, a large issue for the, um, for the religious people of the day was that they didn't, that's not how they thought Jesus was going to come. They thought that he was going to come back, come down on a, on a horse and, and all powerful and, and slay the enemy and take us all and we cheer and go back. That, we know that it's not how it happened, right? So that's why they had so much trouble. I'll, sh- I'll show later that they, that, as to why they actually crucified Jesus. But, but the, the thing that they struggled with was that he, he would come as a man, and he wouldn't seem to come as God. 
Okay, go to uh, Galatians 4, Galatians 4, verse 3. Okay, so in Galatians 4, verse 3, we, we, um, we see in the same way we also, when we were children, um, I'll just read from so I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under, the, under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right? So Christ had to come back as a man under the law to fulfill the covenant that God made with men. Okay? If he had came back as God, he would have fulfilled the covenant with himself. So it doesn't make any sense. He had to come back in the flesh as man in order to fulfill the covenant that God made with men. So what this verse is saying is that he came back under the law. But the key that we understand is that he, he came back not inside that seed of sin, so he was without sin. So he comes back as the only person, human, who can fulfill the law because he was without sin because he was born outside of the seed of sin from Adam. Okay, so... So now we're understanding that when Jesus explains the fact that I am the Son of Man, it's a little bit of a cheeky throwback to Daniel's prophecy where he's saying that he will come like a Son of Man. So he's explaining, I'm the Son of Man. I am that, that Son in the flesh that you're looking for that will fulfill the covenant and bring us back into relationship with the Father. So he had to explain himself in that way Otherwise, he wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecy and they wouldn't have known who he was. Okay, so, so um, I'll, I'll just allude to it now. That's, that's why the, the, the Pharisees crucified Jesus was essentially because he said, I am God, I am the Messiah. So they, they if you look in, um, I think it's in Matthew, Somewhere before, just before Jesus is about to be crucified, the the Pharisees are trying to strong arm him into saying again in front of them, "I am God." Right. So he 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 actually let's just let's just go there real quick because that'll make a bit of sense. Matthew twenty six, sixty three and sixty five. So the the um, the religious people of of um, the day, the the high priest says to him, um, "This man said, i 'I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild in three days.'" And the high priest stood up and said, "Have um, have you no answer to make? What are these testify against you?" Jesus Jesus remained silent, and the priest said to him, "I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God." Jesus said to him, "You have said so, but I tell you, from now on." You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. Then he says, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. So Jesus was saying, I am the Son of God. He never said it in their words, which I find fascinating. But something I'm not going to go into because I didn't want to open the can of worms, but you guys can discuss about it in your, in your life groups or your life and, and who you meet with. But that verse... Interestingly, says that Jesus will be seated 
on the right hand of the Father as a man. Sean and I were talking about this the other day. I'm not going to go into that. Have a look for yourself. Uh, begin to understand. I was actually talking to my mum about that. What would, what would Jesus look like now at the right hand of the Father? Is he a man? I don't want to go into that because it's a long, uh, it's a long time. But a little thought probably that. Put that down. Put that down. He's a man. <laughs> All right. So what I what I wanted to explain then. So in that Jesus was was crucified for blasphemy, saying that he was God. But he also said that I am I am the man. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy that you guys understood. So we have to remember Jewish thinking that they knew this stuff inside and out. It was they, it was taught with them since they were a kid. The prophecy, who who's going to come and redeem us? They knew what that looked like. So Jesus had to fulfill the covenant that God made as a man because if he didn't do that, he would have been fulfilling it with himself. He had to come under the law to redeem those of us who were under the law. I had a, as a, um, a preacher by the name of Reggie Dabbs, one of my favorite preachers growing up as a kid, and he said, um, he's, a, he's a big African-American man, he yells at the mic, it's fantastic. And he said, do you know why Jesus had to come back as a baby? And it's just silent. And he goes, because he had to come back and get those of us who were small. And I went, oh my goodness, that's fantastic. That just rocked, that just rocked me. I like that. And I was like, you know, that's, but that's true. He had to come back under the law to get us from under the law. He had to come back and exemplify life and how to live so that he can show us how to live. So, so we now have a, a generic meaning of son of man and we have a messianic meaning of the son of man. So now we need to, to begin to understand a com- the, the combination of the, of the both and how to understand what's being talked of. So Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 78 times throughout the Bible. And, it's, it's, and each time that he does that, it, it both shows his humanity and it shows the, the messianic, um, what's the easy way to say that, the, the glory that he was in as God, the sovereignty of God. So it shows him as, as both man and as both God, which I'm going to get into in a minute. Okay, so, so the, the generic side of things, that, that when Jesus uses it, it, it puts us in a position where we understand the, the prophetic um, things put forward by Daniel and Isaiah, and the Messianic um, reinforces who he was and what he had come to do. So if you look at, if you look at, um, at the, the Islam faith, they, they understand Jesus, they know Jesus, they knew what he did, but they never, ever understand the messianic side of the Son of Man. They only ever look at the, the prophetic side of him. So he was a, a great prophet. Right? So if you speak to, um, I, I did quite a bit of study into Islam when I was at uni because I, I, I didn't know enough and it, and it made me upset that I, I couldn't understand where they were coming from. But it, they, they understand Jesus and the gift that he carried, but they do not see his messiahship. And that's where they go wrong. Right? So so such a small misunderstanding, such a small disbelief leads us down this incredibly terrible path. And again, another can of worms, but there's a, the Bible shows that. And it's amazing. shows the, the, the fall and, and rise of Islam through a decision made in the Bible. But they do not understand both sides of this. So we have to take into consideration both. If it, if it doesn't have a generic meaning, meaning just man, then he doesn't fulfill the prophecy. If he doesn't have the, the messianic meaning, then he was just a martyr. 
So we have to look at it from both sides and understand both concepts. Otherwise, we misunderstand who Jesus is and was in what he did. Okay, do we, is, is everyone all good? Is everyone, is everyone okay? I know that's a lot to think about. So I know silence is thinking, but when you're up here and everyone's silent, oh, shoot, someone's going to talk to me after. Okay, so we have to understand we have to understand Jesus. We have to understand Jesus from birth to his work to his death to his resurrection to his ascension and then to his return. A lot of the time we get focused on on just his death. But without the resurrection and the ascension and his return, we're back to what I was saying before. He's, he was just a martyr. But they didn't, they didn't see him like that because he fulfilled who he was in the fact that he rose again and the fact that he's coming back. He ascended and he's coming back. So we can't, we can't zoom in on Jesus and then, and then grab that and go, this is everything. Because we have to understand the whole picture. So, so a lot, a, a lot of, um, thinkers get caught around, um, coming back to the foot of the cross. So we go through and then we come around and we stuff up and we come back to the foot of the cross. But we have to understand the nature of Christ was that there was a whole moving through the cross and we can never forget what happened and never stop rejoicing what happened, but we got to get forward. Otherwise we stay there and we don't actually move forward as Christians. So when we can begin to understand the whole picture of Jesus, now we're excited. You know, sometimes I, I, I think to myself, we... We get so caught up in, in the death of Jesus that we forget to get excited about the return of Jesus. So we have guys going, I don't, new, new people coming to churches going, I don't understand, you guys just get all in there, it's all, it's all somber and sad. But it, don't you believe that he's coming back? Isn't that, isn't that something to get pumped about? So we, we never forget what happened and we never take it lightly, but we've got to take it into the whole picture. I actually have written in my notes, don't open this can of worms, but I already did it. <laughs> don't do this, Ben. <laughs> Ooh, <go. laughs> All right, so, so we understand that, that the Son of Man, when we see that in the Bible, we have to understand what it's, what it's talking about there. The understanding of the fact that the Son of Man is, is pushing towards who Jesus was in, in, as a man and who he was as, as the Messiah. So I want to now talk about and open up the fact that Jesus was both fully God and he was both fully man at the same time. That he had to carry both the full Godship and become fully man in order to complete what God, God the Father laid out for him to do. So there was a quote that I wasn't going to read because it, it, it's, um, it's quite thick, but I just it, it makes so much sense. So I'm going to read it and then explain it. But... A guy by the name of J.I. Packer stated that there are, two, there are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of the persons with the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. What he is stating here is incredible. He is saying that the the 
incredibleness of, of God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, first attempted to exemplify the love of man with Adam, and he lost it. And then to get it back, he became man in order to exemplify the love for me. Okay, so what he's saying is that the Trinity, the, the Trinity of God loved men so much that they, he, he attempted to do that through Adam and he stuffed it up. So he said, I will go and show you how much I love you myself. The plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. So I, I heard a guy once say um, that if God is so incredible, why in the world did he have to die in order to save us? And I was like, interesting question. And then I was reading this guy's book and I was like, oh my goodness. He didn't have to. He wanted to. He loved us so much that he said, you stuffed up my relationship, but I'm going to come and give it back. And to do that with with absolute love, with absolute who I am, I've got to become man in order to do that. So we can look at the fact that Jesus came in order to, to allow us to, um, sorry, to fix the covenant. But he came firstly because of love. Yes, he fixed the covenant. But the, the initial drive, the, the, the purpose, the reason God came as man, sent his son, was because he wanted that relationship back that he gave to Adam and, and Eve in the garden and we, we, we lost it. When I look at when I go through the Bible and I, and I, and I look at Jesus' life, I see such a, a, an amazing relationship that we should long for with the Father. That there is a, a connection with the Father that he has that God is saying, that's the connection I want with every single one of you. The reason Jesus came as a man was to model out the life that we are to live. So we look at that and we go, oh, so we have to be perfect. Well, no. But that's one side of the coin. Look how incredible this man understands his father and the love that his father had for him. So when we go, when I say, I want to be like Jesus, it's not because I want to be this perfect legend that can walk around and and do everything perfectly, but because he understood the love that the father had for him. When we fully live out of a place of that love that God has, our whole life changes. Like I was saying earlier today, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing. This, the, the trial and the tribulations that we go through, when we, are, when we are solidly focused on Christ, we're focused on the relationship he had with his Father. So that when the storms come and the waves rock us, we never ever leave that place with the Father because we understand his Son. I heard a preacher, um, Sean led me up the garden path. I went chasing for another thing that I wanted to hear. But I got called on a preach by um, Joseph Prince, and he was talking about the ark, and it was it was an incredible preach. Very, but he said something that that was quite interesting. He was saying that that Mos- um, that Noah fell over in the ark. That that somewhere in the, in, in the it, it's written that he waves got and he fell over. And I just would have thought, oh, we got a boat. That happens. But Joseph Prince was explaining the fact that he fell over in God. He fell over in the safety of the ark. So what happened? He just got back up and kept going with it. 
But when we fall over outside of the safety of, of Christ now obviously being the ark that we find safety in, that when we fall over in that place, we just get back up. But we have to continue to remain focused on Christ and keeping him the thing that we're doing. Augustine, one of the um, one of the big thinkers, he was from the eighteen uh, hundreds, I think. He's one of the he was one of the big um, uh, thinkers around around Christianity and understanding the, the the Bible. And he wrote quite a few of the creeds and things. But he stated, "Christ added to himself which he was not. He did not lose what he was." Okay, so he didn't he didn't set aside being God, in order to come back as man, which a lot of Christians think, that he acted as a man, but he sat aside his day and he couldn't. He didn't lose what he was. He added to himself which he was not. Go with me to, um, go with me to John 10, 30, 33. John 10, 30, 33. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we we see snippets of Christ referring to himself and the Father as being one being. So it's it's actually terrible, terrible um, theology to, to to say that that Jesus stopped being God. Um, I'm not going to read them all to you, but if you're taking notes, Matthew 1, 23, John 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 13, Titus 3, 4, Titus 2, 13, 1 John 5, 22, Peter 3, 18. They'll all be on the recording. I know I zoomed through them, but I don't, I don't have super heaps of time, so I just wanted to... But all those verses, all of those verses, you'll be able to get them on the recording um, and you can break them down. But all of those verses talk about the fact that Jesus is God. That he never ceased to give up that deity. He never gave that away. So the Jews understood that and they worshipped Jesus as God. That they never, they never separated the two, but they understood the distinction between the two. So they understood that he was God, but he was acting in his, in his manhood in order to fulfill the prophecy that Daniel and, and Isaiah had talked about. So, so we need to understand that, that Jesus stayed God. Because when we start to remove that, it starts to get very convoluted and we start having thoughts and building religions like we see that run off on a tangent and hold on one little thought and they don't actually break it down. And now we have thousands of people in this mess because they haven't understood a text. A, a judge, a New York judge did a study, and that's what I was saying before, that he, um, the, the crime, the only crime that Jesus committed that the, that the Pharisees were willing to convict him from was blasphemy. So the whole reason that Jesus 
died on the cross was because he said he was God. Why would he go to the cross? Why would he say that if he wasn't actually God? We have to begin to understand, okay, yes, he was God because he said he was God. And he fulfilled the prophecy of which was written in old. So then go with me to Philippians 2. Oh, snap, he gets you on it. Philippians 2, verse 1. Sorry, give me one moment because my iPad's had a problem. Philippians 2 verse 1. So if, there's any, so if there is any encouragement in Christ and comfort from love, my participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, cleave my joy by, bearing, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but but emptied himself by emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How can you read that and not understand that Jesus was man also, fully man, that he didn't see himself, what is the verse there? He didn't see himself equal with God. Was that the word there? Verse 6, he didn't count equality with God. But we know now that he was God. But he came and saw himself as man. I think to be grasped. So, exactly. So he, so he, was, he was equal with God, but he was saying, I already had that equality, but I, I came back as man. The other verse that I want to, I, I want to look at is um, John 10, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, John 14, 12, 13, where it says that um, it speaks about the fact that we will do um, even greater works of that of Jesus. Now that word, when you begin to look at that greater, uh, this is going to rattle some, a few people's cage because I know that this is a very um, misunderstood thing, but that greater is actually meaning in, um, in number, in age. It's not meaning greater as in doing bigger things than Jesus. But it talks of, of an age. If you, if you break that word down, it goes back to um, speaking of a, of a time and an age. Obviously, Jesus only did work until he was 30, and there was one of him. So now there's hundreds upon thousands, so the work will grow. But how, how can we do that? How can we begin to do that if Jesus was acting out of his deity because we can't do that? So how can he lay down a foundation of this is what you are to do as my sons and my daughters, to go out and do the works that I did, but surprise, I was acting out of my deity, so good luck. You know, how, it doesn't make any sense if, he, if he's saying to us, you can do these things, but we're not God. Right? But in him, we are, we are given the power and the understanding of pulling on heaven and the, and the spirit moving through us and understanding that God will change and alter the things that we're doing to do as Jesus was doing, just as he did when he was on earth. Why did he spend so much time in the wilderness 
so much time praying, so much time understanding the Spirit and the Father because that's how he, he got the power in order to do what he was doing as man by the Holy Spirit. The same power in which he has given us, the same power that lives inside us, the Spirit, and the same power that raised him from the dead. So we have to understand that God never ceased, sorry, Jesus never ceased to be God, but he acted out of the out of his manhood, his son of man, his flesh, his humanity, in order to complete the works that the Father was asking him to do. So in the way that we, we look at that and we apply that to ourselves is that God is giving us the same tools to complete what he's asking us to do. So as we begin to, to realize who we are, realize what our task is and understand the voice of our Father, the gifts that he's given us, the tools, are the same. One John four two three it says that Jesus came in the flesh. One Peter four one it said that Jesus suffered in the flesh, that he he ate and he drank, he thirsted and he hungered, he he lived as man lived, and he died as man died. But his deity changed what his death meant. So so we understand that Jesus when he I know that this was a little bit odd, but I, I really wanted to begin to build and for us to understand who Christ is and what that means for us in our lives. So when we can begin to understand the fact of, of the, the different things that Jesus was, draws a, a big picture and allows us to see what our job and our task is and the power that we have through that. So I, I want to challenge us to look at the broader picture of Christ's life. That yes, he died and it was it was incredible. But he also rose and he also was ascended and he's coming again. So when we can begin to understand how he lived and we can begin to understand his nature and his likeness, then we can begin to understand how to do the works that he's asked us to do in greater number than, than what he had. Is that good? Is, do we understand? Yeah. So so I just want to to, to recap that son the, the son of man that that when you read that, you have to understand what it's talking about. Don't read it and go, okay, that's, that's Jesus. Because when he's calling himself, he's speaking of himself. But when someone else is speaking about it, they're either speaking about Jesus or they're just speaking about man, flesh, human, you and I. Another thing I want us to, to, to take away from this is that Jesus is both fully man and both fully God. He never ceased to be God in order to become man. But, he acted in a way that we can act as well. So through the Holy Spirit, the power that we are given through the Holy Spirit allows us to do the work just as Jesus was doing and had done. So the empowerment that we have is the Spirit that he said, it's better that I go so that I can send the Spirit because that's what will empower you to do what I've shown you need to do. And the final thing I, I want us to understand is that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus until the day that we die. Keep the main thing the main thing. In every aspect of our life, I don't just mean the band that we used to wear as kids, the um, What Would Jesus Do bands. Some, yeah, no, okay. um, I, I, I mean the, 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 the question of that in every aspect of our life. Jesus, what am I doing in this workplace? Jesus, what am I doing in this thing? Who am I? Who are you saying that I am? How would you live out this position that I have in my life? Yep, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God. We just thank you for, for everything that you've done to get back this relationship that you wanted so desperately to have with us, Father. Jesus, I just thank you for your willingness to, to listen to the Father's call and to do as he asked you to do. And Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you begin to move in every heart here this morning. That God, anything that wasn't of you that came from my mouth, that you drop it right now. Father, but everything that you wanted to say here this morning, God, that, that you begin to burn in people's hearts. To make, us, to make us uncomfortable so that we can grow. To challenge us to, to show us who you are really, Father, not who the, the, the people today say that you are, but the reality of you in our lives, God. I just pray, Lord, Father, that you begin to, to challenge every person here, Father, in their life to, to understand who you are in that place in our conversations, in our work, in our home life, in our marriages, Father, in, in every area of our life, you begin to challenge us, to show us who Jesus is in those places. We just thank you, Father, in your wonderful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.